Welcome to episode number 41 of Nurses Living the Good Life. My name's Ann Conkley. I'm a certified nurse midwife and a certified life and business coach, and I'm so glad that you're here. So today I want to talk about how to make 2023 the best one yet, and we're going to dive into some of the reasons why maybe it feels really hard to do that or whether or not you're kind of like, no thanks, I'm, I'm all set here. Um, and I know some of you are thinking about how to make it better, but you just don't know how. And, and, and I get it. Nothing's gone wrong here. And that's why I'm here to help. So, so we're going to dive into that. But before we start, I just want to mention, you know, it's early December. This is, um, always an interesting time because we're in the holiday season and I don't know about you, but we've got Amazon packages that are arriving, you know, at all hours of the damn day and uh, packages from Target. We did quite a bit of uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday shopping, doing our part to support the economy and um, and noticing, as you probably noticed, you know, the rate of inflation and things this year are just more expensive in general than they've ever been, uh, at least that I can remember. So so it's been interesting, right? We've got the the uh, realities of being in the holiday season. And, you know, right now, if, if in your family, it's uh, similar to the situation in mine, we've got some sickness in our household, whether it's RSV or influenza, I don't know, but, uh, you know, we've got, we've got sick kids and, you know, it happens, right? And, and we saw that after the uh, Thanksgiving, uh, you know, celebration and people being together and, and it happens, and it's still hard, right? Uh, and combine that with the stress of preparing for the holidays, and you know, more requests to, uh, you know, be present for parties, and and you know, I, I I know a lot of you out there are like, but that's so fun, par- asking being asked to come to a holiday party, and you know, it's so funny that uh, it's, you know, it depends on who you are, because I gotta tell you, I get some of these invitations, and my initial reaction is like, oh. Man. And then I get excited about it, you know, uh, or sometimes it's the opposite. I get really excited about it because I got invited, but then I'm like, but I'm not going to go, which is, I think, so typical of an introvert. Um, and it's okay. I'm not here to judge it. Uh, but I'm sure that uh, maybe some of you can relate. So if you can, just remember, you're not alone. Really, you're never alone. Um, so it is, you know, the start of the holiday season and, um, and I wish you health in your households and, uh, and, you know, a continued attitude of let's take it one day at a time and, uh, and, and enjoy the ride, right? Like what if that were possible? Uh, that's at least what I'm trying to do over here. Um, it's also, um, just before 5am here and I just took Stella out and, um, and you guys know that I probably talk about how I get up early and usually try to walk. And I, if we're being honest and, you know, again, you guys know I'm commit to as much honesty as I can, uh, on this podcast, uh, you know, I've really struggled over the past couple months to keep a consistent morning routine. And it's for a lot of reasons. We've had some ups and downs in our household. And, you know, as, as very often as you guys can probably relate to, there are just seasons of your life that you go through that sometimes are a little bit more challenging, whether it's with relationships or, um, you know, people or children. And, and we've had some of that. And, uh, and we're just kind of, you know, getting back to what I would call as baseline. And so I haven't been doing my normal, you know, most morning, every morning, you know, walk at 530. I'd say I get out maybe uh, three, four, five times a week, but it's not like it used to be. So 
So instead of beating myself up for that, I'm just noticing it, just aware of it, and uh, trying to show myself some grace and compassion at a time that's been a little bit more challenging. Uh, and, and, and also just committing to saying, well, all right, that's the past three to four months. Where do I want to go with it from here? Right. How do I want to treat myself in this season? And how do I want to show up for myself? So anyways, this morning I woke up probably around four 30 and just naturally woke up and I sleep maybe about seven, seven and a half hours at this point. You know, my thyroid meds are working well, (laughs) you know, I'm a nine o'clock bedtime person for the most part. So I got up around 4.30, I just, you know, woke up naturally and thought I should just, let me, let's go, you know, and I swear, you know how sometimes you're laying in bed and you're just like, I can't, I literally cannot get out of bed right now. I'm not even joking you. I don't know what I was, I do know what I was thinking. I was thinking about a couple of podcast episodes I want to record. And I, before I knew it, I was literally getting out of bed and I thought, wow, that is fascinating. Start thinking about something that you want to do and watch your body take action and literally get out of bed without you having to, you know, um, pull teeth to make it happen. It was fascinating. So, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to get up and, uh, I'm going to get going. And so I took Stella outside. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous night and, um, clear skies. And, you know, at least for, you know, my, um, uh, neck of the woods here, we can see Orion right now in the big dipper and just beautiful, uh, right now and, and, and cold and crisp outside and, just one of those mornings, you know, when you just have one of those mornings, you're like, oh yeah, I remember why I get up early, right? That was, that was this morning for me. So, so moral of the story, right? Uh, of course we go through seasons. Of course it's okay. And let's not, uh, let's not beat ourselves up for what we didn't do, but let's just note it. Let's show ourselves grace and compassion. And then let's be mindful and, and consider, all right, that happened again, what do I want to do next? Where do I want to go from here? Right? How do I want to show up for myself and treat myself in the next 30 days? Right? Um, so, so, um, all right. So that's a good update for you. Okay. So it's the holiday season. It's been a real season in this household. We've got some sickness, we've got some ups and downs and, you know, such as life, as you know, I mean, you know, you've heard me talk about uh, how life is 50-50, uh, and, uh, I'm not exempt to that, right? I'm not a special snowflake that gets a pass on, you know, the shit storms and dumpster fires of life, right? It, I'm not. So I just know that now I'm much better equipped to handle a lot of them because I've got some good tools that really are supportive, uh, in those times when it feels really hard and challenging. So, so let's talk about 2023. Cause I know if it's, you know, if you do any business planning or if you have any, um, you know, anything that you do on the side, maybe, or you're starting to think about, you know, the end of the year, we're just about to finish out the year, less than 30 days left in 2022. And very typically, a lot of people start talking about 2023 goals. And maybe if you're a business owner, you've sat down already and done your 2023 uh, strategic planning. Uh, maybe you're like, and it's December of 2022. I did my strategic planning back in, you know, January or March or that's all right. Good for you. Excellent. And for those of us who are maybe, uh, you know, still considering or still thinking about 2023 and some of the goals maybe that we want, I want to just welcome you in and say, you're not alone. It's okay. We don't have to have this stuff figured out, uh, you know, 10 months in advance or two years in advance. If you do, and that's your strength, 
as a strategic thinker and someone who loves to plan things out good for you, I notice for myself, that tends to be something that is a little bit more challenging for me. I really have to work at um, kind of laying things out and and thinking through uh, in a thoughtful way, an intentional way, what I want a strategy to be. And I'll tell you, it feels very, very hard for me sometimes. So, but but we're going to talk first before we even get into kind of creating that 2023. I want to just point out some of the reasons why you might not already yet be doing that. And and some of them touch on what I just talked about, but the one I hear the most often is I don't know how to do that. Like I don't know how to, you know, plan for next year. And I just want to say like okay, one of the things my clients will tell you is that when they say, I don't know, I say, we're not accepting those today. We're not accepting I don't knows today, right? Because you have to consider what happens when your brain offers you the thought, and it's totally normal, by the way. The brain, when it is, uh, um, when it is approached or at, at the helm of doing something hard, it will, the uh, limbic system and the fear-based thinking will provide you with all sorts of thoughts of why it's a terrible idea and why you know, you should just abandon ship right now and not even consider doing that. So it's normal. But but the most common one I hear is, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to sit down and, you know, plan it out. And I'm not strategic, right? Did you hear me just say that a couple of minutes ago? Like, well, it's really hard for me, right? You see me making excuses. And it's okay. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to, to judge myself even. And I just want to notice like, oh, how interesting. I think it's hard to plan. I think it's, you know, it's not something I'm good at. I don't know how to do that. And I think, you know, the reality is that the minute that I don't know comes in, I don't know, that thought usually produces for most of us either some level of worry, anxiety, overwhelm, concern, uncertainty, and so for me, the I don't knows, whenever I see I don't know come up in my brain as a thought, I think, oh, shoot. And I feel a little bit um, nervous because I think, oh, hell, I don't, I don't know how to do that. And I, I probably should know how to do that, right? That's how my brain, that's usually the first thought that comes up when I start thinking about next year or forward planning or the future, right? I don't know how to do that. And remember, so if, if, if that thought comes up and then the feeling is uncertainty or it's anxiety or worry, Think of, think of how fun it is to sit down and plan out 2023. I'm going to tell you something. It's going to suck because you're like, I don't know. And you just sit there and, and all the uncertainty fuels, you know, how easy it is and how hard it is to uh, sit there and to plan it out or to have conversations or to think big or to be creative or to uh, allow yourself to dream, right? I mean, we, I, I don't know will literally shut down creativity, Right, because what you're not doing when you are sitting there feeling overwhelmed or ang- or anxious about or uncertain about what is to come or you know next year, the reality is you don't do anything. Right, we're not we're 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 sitting in the midst of all of that big heavy emotion, but then we're also not you know, dreaming up what could be possible and taking those next steps or even considering. You know, it's like it literally just shuts down creativity in its tracks. So, so what happens? Well, if I think I don't know. And that is that predominant thought that comes up. Well, the result I create is that I actually don't know because I'm not out there figuring it out. So just note that thought, right? I don't know how to do that. Anytime that I don't know has come up, just note that thought. We don't actually have to, um, right, take what our brains offer us, all the fodder that comes out. Remember, you have anywhere from 
you know, research says anywhere from 30,000 to 75,000 thoughts per day. And most of them are bullshit. Okay. Thoughts are not facts. They're just thoughts. They're just sentences that come up in the brain. And, uh, and it's okay. And your job is to be discriminatory and say, wait a minute, which ones are the good ones and which ones are total bullshit? Now, out of those 30 to 75,000 thoughts a day that come up, uh, remember that um, you know, most of them are recycled. The majority, it's like three out of four of those are recycled from yesterday, right? So, so this is why when we talk about building belief systems and belief systems are really just designed on you know, a multitude of thoughts, right? Uh, uh, that's what a belief system is. It's a, a network of thoughts. And so when we talk about building new belief systems, very often it takes being very intentional in how you think. And if you can consider that um, uh, if 75% of my thoughts today are, is the recycled shit of what I had yesterday, then if all of my thinking yesterday was negative, a lot of it I'm going to carry forward to today. So as we begin to build new belief systems, as we begin to, uh, to focus on the ones that are supportive, the thoughts that are intentional, it takes time. So just, just remember that. So we just note those ones. I don't know how to do that. We note that. Oh, yeah, look at that. My brain offers me this thought I don't know. And I mean, think of it in the clinical day, like how many times, think about even if you're like, oh, I don't do that anymore. Think about when you first got started as an advanced practice nurse. I'm sure there were a lot of times when maybe you, like I, thought, shit, I don't know how to do that. I would literally look at the schedule and I would say, oh boy, I don't know how to do that. Next one on removal or um, vulvar biopsy or endometrial, you know, and I, I would just think, oh, shoot. Hormone therapy, if somebody wants to talk about menopause. Yeah, I remember being a new clinician and thinking, oh, God, that's so hard. It's going to be really hard, right? And I, I just don't know how to do that, um, which is, and in some cases, right, it was true. And we're not here to debate whether or not you do or you don't know. We're just here to note that it's usually not a supportive thought because, again, it just produces a lot of extra overwhelming anxiety. And that's not helpful in becoming the advanced practice nurse who goes on up to date, who looks it up, who talks with a colleague, who reviews some of the clinical practice guidelines or current, you know, bulletins that are out on you know, treating this kind of condition, right? I mean, think of how fun it is to figure out how to do an EMB when you're literally shaking your boots thinking, I just don't know how, how I'm going to do that, right? It's like your brain, it's like your, your brain is literally shut down your prefrontal cortex, any of that upper analytical, higher decision-making, that clear, crystal clear thinking, totally shut down. So we just note that one and say, all right, when I get a run of the I don't knows, you know, just note it. Don't beat yourself up for it, but just note them and, and ask yourself, do I really, is, is that really true? And do I need to know everything right now? This is not, this, we can call it a thought error. This is just not a supportive thought and we can just note it, move on. Um, the other one is it's so hard. You know, it's so hard is another thought that I hear a lot from um, some of my business owners and I, I, and I experience myself, right? This idea of when I start thinking about strategic planning or really setting up goals for next year, it's so hard, right? And think about what happens. Think about how it feels in your body when you think it's hard. And I think I've done um, a podcast on this one, right? If I think it's going to be hard, it's going to be hard. I'm literally creating that reality. It's going to be so hard, right? What's the feeling that comes up there? Well, for me, it feels like, you know, oh God, just sad, like a little bit of sadness, a little bit of angst. It's like a little bit of anxiety, probably a little bit of worry. It gets sometimes indulgent. Oh my God, it's going to be so hard, right? 
and then think again, how easy is it to go ahead and you know be creative and start thinking, dreaming big and creating this big vision when you literally are sitting there shaking your boots like it's so hard. So remember, it's so hard creates more hardness in your life, like more challenges, right? So this is another one we just notice and say, oh, look at that. My brain offered me this thought again, one of the 75,000 thoughts it's going to offer me today. And if I am discriminatory in the thoughts that I allow to go on heavy repeat in my brain, this isn't one of them that's going to help me get where I want to go. So it's so hard. Okay. We just note that move on. Okay. Cause we don't need to create more hard. <laughs> Life has already presents enough, you know, joys and hard moments. We don't need to add to it with shitty thoughts and shitty thinking. Okay. And look, when I say shitty thinking, I, I want to be very clear. It's not your fault. We're not here to place blame. The brain is a is a thinking and a meaning-making machine. So th- it's doing what it's designed to do. So nothing's gone wrong. Uh, and I also want to offer, you know, your goal is, and my goal, I think, is if we want to really leverage the power of the brain, if we want to really be able to create new results, then you and I have to agree that um, some of the, we have to be more discriminatory about the thoughts that come up and which of those thoughts we essentially promote to, you know, what I call the equivalent of like the New York Times. Like if you walk into Times Square and you see the billboard and you see the running ticker, I want you to think of that ticker, like all the thoughts that come up in my brain, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's like there's a constant ticker of thoughts that are coming up. And some of those thoughts are total shit and some of those thoughts are beautiful and amazing and are going to really be supportive to you. Your job as a critical thinking, higher thinking, uh, evolved human with a prefrontal cortex is not to allow that limbic system and that constant ticker of thoughts. It's, It's to be discriminatory about what thoughts you essentially promote to get uh, up there on that, that ticker, right? They're there and you're like, oh yeah, here's the thoughts passing along. It's just here. They're on the ticker. The ticker goes. It doesn't stop, right? It just, the thoughts keep coming and that's okay. Our job is to be the observer of those thoughts and to, to notice, right? Which one of those thoughts do I want to believe? Which one of those thoughts do I feel is true? Which, which of those thoughts are total bullshit and not useful for me? What we can call those thought errors. Although thought errors for some of my clients tends to have kind of a negative connotation and it feels like judgy a little. So if it feels judgy to you too, we let's not use it. But sometimes I like to just look at it and say it's a thought error is kind of like, oh yeah, it's if I'm watching the ticker tape on, you know, the like I'm in Times Square, I'm watching the billboards and I'm watching the ticker tape at the, ticker tape at the bottom and I'm and and my thoughts were on that and I could just see them like I'm fat. <laughs> I mean, think about all the thoughts that come up every day. Um, I don't have enough money. Oh, I love my husband. I I can't see what he's doing right now. The kids are bothering me. I love those kids. It, it's it's nonstop. And that's how the brain is designed. We're not going to get, I've got no you know, magic potion in essence for changing the number of thoughts that come up because we can't. This is how the human brain is designed. But what I would offer to you is that you as the can become the watcher of your brain and say, oh, 
if I step back and I realize that I'm not the ticker tape, I'm literally just watching the ticker tape, then I can make a decision about which of those thoughts I want to promote, which of one of those thoughts I want to bring into creating a new belief system, and which feel like they're useful to me and they're serving me and don't cause these big, heavy, negative emotions in my body and all these you know big, heavy feelings that keep me from doing what I want to do, from meeting my goals, from creating new realities, from you know reaching my dreams. So um, what else we got on this list? Okay, so the thoughts that get in the way of making, you know, of strategic planning or making your next one your best year yet. The other one I've got on here, I'm over it, right? Some of us are just like, oh, I just can't right now, right? And just the disgust that comes, right? For me, when I think that, it's just, I feel this sense of just disgust and maybe a little bit of discouragement, but I think it's mostly disgust there, like, oh, God. And think about, again, think about what happens when you walk around in a state of disgust. I look at everything with a, if, I, if, I'm, if disgust is ruling the roost in terms of how I'm looking at the world, I'm going to tell you something. If my kids do something that's annoying, I'm just like, oh, my God. Or if a patient does something that's annoying, I'm like, oh. Or if a client does something or if the grocery store clerk does something and I'm in the midst of just feeling total and utter disgust, it really flavors the entire experience that I have, right? My interactions become a little bit more chippy. Uh, I'm not exactly the nicest person. I might be a little bit more short, may take it out on people. I may assign them, uh, you know, oh gosh, this person, right? It's not only that I have the feeling of disgust, but then I start looking at the world with essentially, you know, a filter, right? It's like I put this, it's like, think about some of these big heavy emotions. It's like putting, it's like you're sitting there and then we put on a set of glasses and the glasses, if the lens is disgust, I'm looking at everything with a lens of disgust and it just flavors. It's like pouring, you know, you remember Crystal Light? I don't even drink that stuff anymore, but like, remember Crystal Light? And you like pour it in to your water bottle and all of a sudden it becomes pink over time. Like that's what disgust does, right? Think about it. It takes a little bit of time, but all of a sudden it's like we've gone from having a water bottle that has no color to it to being like, uh, there's a little bit of color to being this robust pink color. And then this is how we're looking at the world. I'm looking at the world with disgust, right? So so just notice that one, right? I'm so over it. And I would say what happens? Well, when I have that thought and the disgust comes up and then I'm just looking at the world with this just negative view and I'm just like, that's I, I can't, that to me equates disgust, that like, Ugh, right? Um, if, I'm, if I'm disgusted with anything, I'm, I'm not doing. I'm in the throes of, of judging, right? I'm looking at the world and I'm just judging it. And I'm not doing anything except judging, right? And what happens when I just sit around doing that? Well, I don't, I don't then again sit down, be strategic, think of all these beautiful big things I could do in the world, right? It just feels just so challenging, right? So I'm over it creates the reality and the results of, yeah, I really am. I'm over it. I'm over everything. I'm over myself. I'm over all of it. Just here, and I'm not doing anything else. Uh, the other one, I don't know what I want, right? This is another I don't know. I, and I'll tell you, if I hear one one line, if there's one line that people come to me with, it's I don't know what I want, but this isn't it. 
and and it's okay it's it it's it's okay to have that thought and if you're the person who's saying I'm I'm that's me Anne. like I, I I feel I think that all the time I just don't know what I want I want you to look at it and say how do I feel when I think I don't I don't know what I want well to me I feel very frustrated I feel like I'm um, and, and then I go out and I'm searching everywhere high and low for what I want or I'm I'm looking externally to all these people I'm thinking about extra degrees and you know, I'm looking up the psych mental health MP programs and I'm applying and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking externally for some reassurance, right? I'm trying to avoid all that feeling of frustration. And what happens? Well, when I think I don't know what I want, what happens is that I don't go down the path of finding out what I want, right? I, I look externally for the answers. And I, when I do that, I miss all the opportunities to take a pause, to look internally, to ask myself, right? When I say, I don't know what I want, it's like I defer to this, like there's some magic container that I just need to find it. I'm going to open up the container and inside it's going to be like this booklet and this beautiful booklet. I'm going to read it. And it's going to say on like page 967,000, it's going to say, Anne Conkley, what what Ann Conkley wants, and you and I, and look, I'm you're not alone. I'm not. We're not judging, but look, you and I have been looking for that book for a long time, and I don't know about you, but I haven't found it. I have not found the book that says what I'm supposed to want, and that. And why is that? Well, it's because it doesn't exist outside of you. But do you know what's so interesting? It does exist inside of you. Right, and that it, it's a it's a part of our conditioning for a lot of us, especially those of us who identify as women. Where the part of our conditioning has been deferring externally to society for um, how we should think, how we should act, how we should feel. Right, because society has for a long time told us a lot of these things. You know, and you guys know this. We've talked about this on the podcast. You know, society expects us to show up in a certain way, to act, balance motherhood and parenthood in a certain way, and you know, to look good and, you know, right, to have, you know, nice tits and, you know, still have a six pack of abs after having a couple kids and, right, like society is, you don't, it doesn't take much to look around, whether you're driving on the highway and you see some billboards about cool sculpting or um, about, you know, um, lips and, you know, microblading, it, there's there's no lack of uh, 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 messaging around how we should look, how we should act, how we should think, how we should feel. So it's okay. It's all right. Again, that stuff exists. Our job is to be discriminatory on these thoughts. And then to really question them and say, is that really true that I don't know what I want? And is it true that there's some magic book that I got to find this container and I got to open it up and I got to read through the book and I got to find my section? No, it's not. There's no book. I, I hate to tell you that there's no book. And you're like, shit, I know it's all right. We can just have that moment together and be like, damn, I wish there was a book. I wish there was a book I could just take out, just like open it up. But here's what's so funny. Here's what I'm going to tell you. There actually is kind of a version of a book and it's called you and it's called your mind <laughs> and it's called sitting silently. And instead of asking outside of you, what do I want? And looking for the book and spending all this time searching high and low for the goddamn book, what you could do is sit down and say, let me ask myself, what if the book was, in essence, my brain? 
what if I could sit quietly? I could get up at 4.40. I could um, come sit in my office, have a quiet moment with a cup of tea, and I could ask myself, what do I want? What if the book is literally just my brain? And all I had to do was ask. And then all I had to do was fucking listen. Because some of you will say to me, but Anne, what? Well, how do I ask? And I'll tell you, okay, you just go sit in a quiet place and you close your eyes and you ask yourself, what do I want? And then you wait for the damn answer. You listen, like put your click, click, put your listening ears on. I'm doing this motion. You guys can't see it clearly, but doing this motion, we used to do this thing with our kids that we learned from daycare. And they would say to everybody, turn your listening ears on. And they would like, as if they had, you know, like, um, like they could rotate their ears and, you know, and, uh, and, and click, click, like turn your listening ears on. This is what you have to do. You got to sit quietly and you got to ask yourself and then you got to turn your listening ears on, preferably before you do this exercise, turn those listening ears on and then, and then listen and just notice what comes up. And then some of you will say, but Anne, my, I, it told me that I should open a practice. <laughs> okay. So you asked and your brain responded. It, it probably came from a deep place of uh, knowing, of inner knowing. You access that deep place. It told you. It gave you a sense. And then you said, but I don't, wait a minute. You said, I don't know. It's so hard. I'm so over that. <laughs> All the thoughts came right back online. Of course they did. Normal, right? So again, your job is to listen, and then here's, here's the next step. you got to ask yourself. So if I get quiet and I ask myself these things and then I listen and it tells me something, if I access it from a deep place, almost you know, from a deep place within me of my inner knowing, if I answer it, am I willing not only to listen, but am I willing to accept it and have faith in myself that whatever I want that's deep in there and even if I don't know how to make that happen, that I'm willing to, you know, step out in faith that if it's within me, it's for me. And the how doesn't really matter. I just got to, I just got to take the next right step, right? I don't know how, right? if my brain says I got to leave healthcare and start a coaching business, you know, which it did, which it did a couple times. Right. I mean, I was in a couple coaching programs and I'll tell you, I had a lot of thoughts like, I don't know, maybe I should do that. You know, maybe I should start a practice. And then all of a sudden I was met with this like, but I don't know how. Right. Remember, that's the first thought that we talked about. Of course, my brain said that. Every brain says that. Right. If you're sitting there, I'll never forget. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, but um, when I was a new midwife, my first year of practice, I was in the office and, um, and my midwives, brace yourselves, because this is an interesting one. Um, it, and when I was in the office, I had a patient that came in and she said, you know, I've been bleeding. I think at that point she was three weeks postpartum, something like that. She had been um, bleeding, but she said, you know, my bleeding's gotten a little bit heavier. She had been in to see my partner um, maybe within the past week. And had been prescribed uh, um, an OCP to help her with the bleeding. Now this was, this was eleven or twelve years ago. This was probably before we had 
uh, strong data to suggest that you know we don't start uh, estrogen-containing OCPs until week four. But I think he and, – and maybe she was on – he put her on a progestin. I don't really remember. But she had been given a, um, a um, hormone to help control her bleeding at that time. She had not had a physical exam. And so I, I got – I thought, oh, Lord, what am I going to be – what am I going to do for this woman? Like, I don't – you know, she's already seen one of the docs in our practice. I'm in my new – you know, probably within my first six to eight months of practice – and um, at most, and I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do for her. So I remember reading through the notes and thinking, all right, well, I guess I'll see her because what, you know, she came in and she said, you know, my mom's a tech over at one of the local hospitals. And they, she did a, um, a uh, H&H on me. And um, she said that my H&H was, I, I don't know, maybe like seven and her hemoglobin was maybe seven or eight, something like that. And I thought, what? Like, no. And I remember going through the chart and thinking, well, I can't see the delivery record um, because it was a, you know, at that time we were an outpatient center and uh, we, all of our patients went to a outside facility to birth and we would, you know, we were credentialed there and had privileges there. And so I couldn't see easily get access into that system and see what our H&H was. But I said, you know, do you remember what your hemoglobin was on admission? Were you on iron in your pregnancy? I don't think she was on any iron in her pregnancy. She said, well, I remember that they said they were surprised because it was it was 10 or it was 11 maybe. And, uh, and you know, but they it was a change. And she said, my mom was surprised because she, the, the mom had not only done a quick, a rapid uh, like H&H on her then, but she had done one the week prior. And she said, last week, it was eight. And I thought, well, this is a problem. <laughs> I've got a three-week newly postpartum patient. She's got, per her, now the mom, I don't know who the mom is. I don't, she's a tech. I don't know. And But why? who would make up? Who, who would, why would this not be credible information? You know, I'm, I remember sitting there thinking, boy, this sounds really strange, right? I'm like, she's got a dropping hemoglobin. Yeah, and she's newly postpartum. Yes, is it normal to have bleeding and lochia after, you know, in the postpartum period? Yes, of course. But this doesn't seem right. I just remember thinking, this doesn't seem right. And I said, you know, all right. I said, would you be willing to do an exam? And she said, yeah. And I thought, I'm not going to see anything because I'm just, you know, what, what? there's nothing there to see, but I might as well do an exam to make sure. Because I remember being taught, right, like a negative exam is worthwhile to do right? It's worthwhile to have negative findings, like no findings on an exam. So I thought, well, I'll do an exam. So I remember, I'll never forget this. I swear to God, as long as I live, I put the speculum in and I thought, what the hell is that? And it was this very beefy, um, vascular um, view. And I, I just, I, all, all I remember thinking was, where is the cervix? I can't find it. I'm looking around, looking around. And I thought, and, and I couldn't find the cervix. And I thought that was very concerning as it is, right? Here I am, a new midwife. I feel kind of silly telling the story because it, it shows uh, some, a little bit of vulnerability. But, but I know that, that those of you who have ever been in a situation where you're new and you're just like, kind of like have that gut feeling of like, this isn't right, but like, I don't actually know what's I don't know what's why it's not right or what's actually going on. I just know it's not normal, right? Like that's how it was in my career, I think, at the beginning. I was like, I know normal and I know not normal. And I handle normal and like all the not normal I refer out, you know, to my partners and stuff. 
which is what most of us do as we get going. So I'm looking, I'm like, where is the cervix? I'm, I'm changing, I'm moving the speculum gently because she's so uncomfortable. And there's, there's some blood and I thought, this is just not right. And all I thought was, I took the speculum out and I said, may I you know, feel on the inside? And she said, yes. So I go to do it by manual and I could not find the cervix. And in my mind, all I could think was, why does that look so familiar? And then I thought, oh, that looks like when I am in the OR circulating. And this, right, I had just come off of being an L&D nurse for, for several years. And I thought that looks like um, the inside of the uterus. It, it reminded me of when they are sewing up you know, the layers of the uterus, right, closing up the uterus. And I thought, boy, that looks strangely familiar. And all of a sudden, I said, you know, I'm going to step out. I said, all right, you know, let, I'm going to step out and I'm going to go get one of my docs. And it was my chief at that time. And I said, I'm going to go get one of my docs. And, and I left that room and I knew that her uterus was inverted, but I didn't know. Do you know, how, you know when you have that, but you're like, and I thought, I'm going to walk down to my chief's office. And I'm as a, I'm six or eight months into my career, I'm going to tell him that what I see in front of me is that I have a patient who's outpatient. We're not in the hospital. She's outpatient who has an inverted uterus and who has a dropping hemoglobin. And I thought, he's never going to fucking believe me, number one. And number two, I couldn't make this shit up if I tried, but I, I have, I like, I'm beside myself. I don't, this is so not normal. And this is so problematic. Like this is, so I said, so I walk into his office and I said, I said to him, you're not going to believe me. And I know I'm new and I'm not going to tell you what I see because I want you to evaluate it and tell me what you think. But I was like, but I really need you to see this patient and I've got an urgent, if not emergent situation. And he kind of looked at me and we had a good relationship at that point. He said, all right. So he came down and so he puts the speculum in took it out very gently. And he said, all right. He said, you know, I'm going to, he said, I'm, we, we, let me step out. I'm going to talk with Anne and then I'm going to come back in and, and we're going to tell you, you know, I, he said, I got to make a quick phone call and I'm going to let me come back. And he stepped out and he goes, holy fucking shit. She's got an inversion. And I said, Oh God, I was like, I kind of thought so, but I was like, but you know, I'm so new. And he said, call. So we all of a sudden, he said, thank God that you did an exam on her. And so all of a sudden the domino effect fell, right? Like called the OR, we called the uh, uh, GYN on call, set her up in the OR. She went to, we called the ambulance. She went directly from our office to um, our local hospital, a different hospital where we did um, GYN surgeries. And at that time, so here, here's me diagnosing it, right? And then all of the steps that follow. And, um, and one of my partners uh, was able to reinvert her uterus, which was a crazy story in and of itself. Uh, and I think she went on to write a, a case study on it, actually, and publish it. But, but, you know, I'll never forget thinking, oh, God, like, what is, what what am I going to do? Like, I don't, I don't even know what to do here. Right. And I remember having all of those, those thoughts and, and here's the thing, right. 
I just kept going. It's like just taking that next step of like, well, I think I don't, I know this is not normal. I think I know what I'm seeing, but I'm not quite, I can't be sure. And this would be so unlikely. This would be so, you, we, I mean, there's probably very few instances of a, a uterine inversion being diagnosed in an outpatient setting three weeks after the birth of a child. But in fact, that's exactly what happened to this gal. So despite my brain being like, there's no way, there's absolutely positively no way. There's no way that you just not looked far enough. The cervix is somewhere over there. It's just not possible, right? Despite all of that, brain fodder, right? If you imagine the ticker tape, like if we had a ticker tape of my brain during that experience, it would have been fascinating, I'm sure to watch, which was like, there's no way what's going on here. She's got no cervix, her uterus is inside out. But uh, wait a minute, no, that can't possibly be true. No, I'm just seeing things. No, wait a minute, what am I going to do? Oh, shit. Right. I mean, right, like cue the dumpster fire of thoughts. I mean, that ticker tape would have been fascinating to observe, right? But just think about how as a new midwife in practice or as a new NP in practice or new CRNA in practice, that maybe you two have had these moments, right? Where you were like, I don't know. I just don't, I, I'm not sure. And what happened? Well, you fi- we figured it out. We figured it out. We went to our resources. We listened to our intuition. We um, didn't know, but we kept asking questions. We just kept going. We just kept going. And it's no different with this. It's no different with this process. And I'm not alone. I know this is a, it's always an interesting story um, to tell and share, but I'm not alone. You guys have had at least your fair share of some moments early on in your career where you thought, I don't know what is going on here, but what did you do? You just kept taking steps in the next, in the forward direction to figure it out. You just kept asking the next question and you kept going to a new resource and you kept, you know, just asking and researching and figuring it out and, and doing your part as best as you could. Did you always figure it out? Well, maybe, maybe not, but you at least did your part to make sure that the patient at least got referred to somebody who could, or, um, you know, you got them further down the line and handed them off to somebody else. Like you do your part and you just keep going despite the fact that your brain is like, I don't know. Oh my God. It completely freaks out just like my brain did during that moment. So, and then just coming back. So, uh, what, one last thought that I hear so much, and when I think the thoughts that that really um, probably comes up most often for clients, right? We re- reviewed. I don't know how to do that. It's so hard. I'm over it. I don't know what I want. And coming in at number one, that is probably the most uh, detrimental thought is I'm stuck, right? I'm so stuck. Because what happens when you feel, when you think I'm stuck? For many of us, there's very often, I won't speak for you, but for me, I feel very discouraged. I feel like I'm like knee deep in the mud uh, and cannot move. And I am completely and utterly discouraged and uh, just down and out. And what happens when I think I can't move or do anything? I just am totally paralyzed. And I, what happens while I think I'm paralyzed? I just continue to stay stuck it's so interesting how it happens, right? So that thought alone, I'm stuck, that feeling, big feeling of discouragement, and then just feeling paralyzed and thinking I'm paralyzed and I don't know what I want, all that, what happens? Well, I just create that result. I continue to be stuck. So 
if you want to be the person who makes 2023 your best year yet, I'm going to offer this to you. The first thing that you have to do before you sit down and do any goal planning and before you start to, um, you know, think about strategy and, you know, before you go and print out all the planners that you'll see out right now. And, you know, I want you to start thinking, what is holding me back right now today in terms of what I'm thinking? What's on the ticker tape in my brain that's coming across? Because if it's these thoughts, I don't know how to do that. It's so hard. I'm over it. I don't know what I want. I'm so stuck. If those thoughts are on heavy repeat on that ticker tape, Versus thoughts of, right? Like, I want you to think about this. If we were the programmers of the ticker tape, then like on the New York Times bulletin board, like if we were the programmers of the ticker tape and we had, and we said, oh, interesting, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, um, we're, those thoughts are normal. They're going to come up. It's kind of like a, we could call it a glitch in the system, right? It's like those thoughts, they're going to come up, but how do we, if we can't change them and if I have no control over these thoughts coming up, cause I'm at the, um, because the brain just comes up with thoughts, then what can I do? Well, number one, I can be more discriminatory about which ones I believe are true, right? Cause thoughts aren't facts. So I can believe which ones are true and be more discriminatory about which ones are total bullshit and just call them thought errors or just say, you know, not worth my time and move on. Or the other thing I can do is start to to create new belief systems and start to think more intentionally and start to point my brain in the direction of evidence that suggests uh, that exists to suggest that, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. No, I, I do know exactly what I want. I know exactly how to access that. I know how to get quiet. I know how to listen. I know that I've always done hard things, right? There are many hard things that are around that I've done in my career. I diagnosed a uterine inversion for Christ's sakes. Like if I can do that, I can do anything, right? If I can survive being a new grad and diagnosing a uterine inversion and literally feeling like I was going to poop in my pants because I was so worried that, you know, that I was so worried, but right, thinking, (laughs) thinking about, right, like, Oh my God, what's gonna happen? And this can't be true. And I, there's no way. I, my brain was not computing. It was like there's no. I'm seeing this, but this is not possible. There's no way that this is possible. It just doesn't happen. And that whole that conversation in my brain of like, but I saw it. But that's not possible. But wait a minute. But he's never gonna believe me. But but that's what I saw. But that that whole back and forth, right? Um, if you want to become the person who says wait, I got to get a handle on this shit and I'm going to make 2023 one of my best ones yet, then you have to be willing to be the manager of the ticker tape. You have to be willing to say, oh, if some of those shit thoughts come up, then my job is to start looking for some new ones and start looking for some new evidence that exists of some new thoughts and some new belief systems. I'm going to override the default right? Ticker tape. And I'm going to spruce it up and I'm going to add in some more kind of intentional positive thoughts. Like, again, I know exactly what I'm doing. Um, I never get stuck. Or if I get stuck, I don't stay there for very long. It's normal to get stuck. And sometimes I do. And then I tell, and then I figure out a way out of it, right? Um, And sometimes I don't know what I want and that's okay. And then I just make a decision and move forward. Um, That's exactly what I do when somebody comes into me with dysuria or, um, you know, uh, they can't hear out of their ear because it's so full of earwax or they have strep throat, like, or or they have a sore throat. And, you know, I I don't know if it's influenza or strep or even COVID, but, you know, I sure know I've got some tests that I can do. And so I just order my tests and I, you know, do my physical exam and move on, right? Make an assessment, create a plan, give the patient whatever they need, send them on their way, 
Here's your ABS. Bye-bye. Right? Like, so, so you, so your job is to remind yourself, oh, oh yeah, I do know how to do that stuff. Oh yeah. My clients say this all the time. They're like, yeah, that is true. Isn't it? Right. I do know how to do that. And it's not very hard, but it feels hard in the moment because my brain tells me it's hard and that's okay. Again, if we come back to this, like let's have love and compassion for ourselves as humans with human brains and having a human experience, it's totally normal. Nothing's gone wrong here. My And my brain does it too, okay? And if you learn nothing from the story of this uterine inversion, um, I just want you to remember brains freak out. Brains give us all sorts of shit thoughts. And our job is to keep showing up just like I did, right? And I'll tell you, after that inversion, I thought, I don't know. Like, I don't know, man. Like, is this what I, is this right for me? Like, is this what I want to be doing? Like, shit. You know, I just had a patient who got like carted out of here on a stretcher is going immediately to the operating room. And I was like, oh my gosh. But right. Of course, those thoughts come up and, and our job is to just say, all right, are we going to get, let one patient deter us off of doing work that we've studied and, and plan on doing for years and years? No. Just keep showing up. Is it scary? Yes, absolutely. Because I'll tell you, every time from there on out, I was like, it was new in my awareness that like I could diagnose an inversion, a uterine inversion, that that could happen. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh, this is probably like, oh, wow, right? Like changed kind of how I approached the clinic and and really kind of lit a fire under my ass to, to say, number one, trust yourself a little bit more. And number two, um, you're really you're really smart. And um, number three, you learned a long time ago in school that a negative exam was worth something. And so you went looking for a negative exam and you didn't get that. And good for you. Good fucking for you because you actually took what you learned and you applied it in the situation. And you know you probably helped somebody save her uterus. And that's huge. That matters, right? That's the work I got to do because when my brain looks at the situation, it's like, wow, looks at all the things, all the insecurity and all the fear and all the right back and forth in my brain. But here's what also happened, right? I get to tell myself, my brain, a different story of like, yeah, you saved a uterus. You you literally listened to someone. You made a clinical decision at that time. You may have felt a lot of uncertainty and fear and concern, and you still did the exam anyways. And then you followed your intuition and you went and called somebody in who was had more knowledge than you, and you got that gal to where she needed to be, which was in the operating room, having somebody punch her uterus back to uh, revert it, which is essentially, you know, the, I mean, in a very um, uh, kind of, uh, basic way, what what has to happen? We got to relax the uterus and we have to reinvert it in order to save it. It's amazing that that can even happen, and the odds of it so low, but it did. And I know I I played a part in that. That's the story I can tell my brain. I played a part in that. I did that. I helped her, right? Instead of like, I don't know what I don't know what to do, right? Right? We can be discriminatory. We can change the story. We can show our brain evidence of what did happen, even when it offers the ticker tape of bullshit. Okay? It's normal. All right? Okay, friends. So if you need any more support with this and you want to learn how to become the person who, you know, not only knows how to do this, but really takes and puts it into practice, this is exactly what we do in Nurses Living the Good Life. Right? Remember, Nurses Living the Good Life isn't about you know, buying luxury bags, although you guys know I like to talk about luxury bags. And um, it's not about, you know, Turks and Caicos and 
and, you know, first class trips to Hawaii. I mean, I love those things. Yes, of course, I love those things. Nurses Living the Good Life, the premise of this is that, you know, let's do good work in the world and let's do well for ourselves. And that all starts with being very discriminatory and being, you know, in control of the ticker tape and being the one to say, okay, let me look at the ticker tape. Let me be the observer of my brain. And then what I'm going to do is move forward with it. I'm going to learn how to outsmart it. And I'm going to learn and I'm going to practice becoming the person who changes the story every day. It's so powerful. Uh, So if you want some more support with that, you know, you can go to the website and sign up for the wait list uh, so that you're first to know when we open the doors again to the program. So, all right, talk to you soon. Take care and see you next time.